0: You're listening to booth one.
1: Welcome friends to another edition of Booth One where we bring the art of lively conversation about the performing arts and popular culture right into your living room or wherever you might listen Car to I your podcasts. Like, yeah. Most people listen in their cars from mm-hmm. what I understand, it's a great way to spend time on I a do. long road trip. Gary Zabinski and Frank Taranjo here, your hosts. We've had a busy holiday season and are back on the air with brand new episodes. I'm a little bit starstruck today, Frank, uh-huh. as our guest in the booth is a brilliant artist, one of the nicest people you're ever likely to meet. I've just met him just a little while ago, and I already <laughs> know he's one of the nicest people I'm ever likely to meet. Please welcome to the booth, David Pasquese. Hi, yeah. David. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. For the next hour, trust us, this is all made up. <laughs> all right. All right. I didn't mean to steal, steal your line. I didn't want to bury the lead, though. Let me tell our listeners a little bit about you, David. You all know who David Pasquese is, though you may not know you know this. David Pasquese is a comedian, actor, and voiceover actor in Chicago. His screen credits include Groundhog Day, Strangers with Candy, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Angels and Demons, with Tom Hanks, Return to Me, and the Ice Harvest television credits include, and this is where you'll probably know him from, Veep, where he played... Selena Meyer's ex husband Andrew for mm-hmm. many, many seasons. Chicago Fire, a fabulous show called Lodge 49, where you play one of my favoritely named characters, Blaze St. John. You're the bartender uh, and local alchemist. Local alchemist, <laughs> that's true. That's been on for a couple of seasons now, and it's a, a quirky, weird, eerie. And hilarious show i, I don't even know to how to describe it yeah. to people yeah, it's pretty uh, no one's been successful yet <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's nothing like it on tv
1: <laughs> I, I even read the wikipedia entry and it, it, it's non-descriptive really as to what the show is actually about he's also been on madam secretary where you played the italian prime minister prime minister of italy yeah <laughs> enzo moretti yeah was that a made-up name enzo moretti well, those are-
0: it's Enzo's a real name and Moretti's a real name <laughs> but,
2: but there was no, no Prime, Prime Minister named that not, But yeah, putting
1: not. them together was not a real name And at home with Amy Sedaris where you played The Knife Man, uh, Tony uh, Pugnalata Pasquese has performed at the Second City I.O. Theatre, Improv Institute and Annoyance Theatre, studied under Del Close in the early 80s, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that in a few minutes That's and the
0: they, 1980s The <laughs> 1980s, yes <laughs>
1: Thank you for clarifying, and became part of the first I.O. Herald team called Barons Barracudas? Yes. Was that what it was? Barons
0: Barracudas, yeah. The
1: first I.O. Herald team. He appeared in four main stage reviews at Second City, as well as in plays at the Steppenwolf Theater and the Goodman Theater. Since 2002, you've been performing with T.J. Jagadowski in T.J. and Dave, both in Chicago and New York. Yes, and abroad also. That is an improv show. Let's just get into it a little bit. Describe, first of all, for our listeners, what a Herald team is. Well,
0: Herald was the, it's a long form group improvisation that was developed by Del Close as a performance piece. It was developed earlier as a a method to create material that would then be in reviews out at the committee in San Francisco in the 60s, but in the 80s in Chicago, he was using it to create a herald and a structure for improvising with the group that would be consistently good enough to be able to, pay, uh, you know, warrant a ticket price. Because improvisation, that was always a complaint, is that these, when things are improvised, you can't guarantee what the audience is going to see, and so you can't charge for it because it might, in Second City, to that end, their improv sets are free. Their show costs money, but you can sit mm-hmm. in on the improv set for free. But Dell thought that improvisation itself could be the show.
1: And where did the name Harold come from? I think I know this story. And how do you spell him, Harold? Harold, H A R O L D. As opposed to H E R A
2: L D. Harold Exactly,
0: Harold, now I'm going to forget who it was, the piano player at the committee. They, What are we going to call this thing? And the uh, Beatles had just mentioned that their air haircut was named Arthur <laughs> <Right>.
1: what <laughs> so do you what do you call that so
0: I forget I it's, I forget who the piano player was who said it but yeah he was uh he said let's let's just
1: call it Harold and it stuck so it, it comes almost out of nowhere it's almost like how Steppenwolf was named when they were trying to think of a name and someone happened to be reading Steppenwolf at the time and held up the book and said how about this <laughs> and it worked How did you two meet, uh, you and TJ, and decide that you'd be a good working team on stage in in, in improvisation?
0: i had been out of Second City for quite some time, and so he's about 10 years after me at Second City, so I'd seen him on stage there. I'd never really worked with him, though. And then we got thrown together at a, a Chicago Improv Festival night. Some people had to cancel, and so they cobbled together a group of people who were local. And so that was the first time I'd really done much with them. And we did a couple scenes, and we got along well, and so we decided to maybe try something. Did you feel some sort of simpatico Well, not that night performing, not necessarily that night performing, but when talking to him that night, we found, we found out that we're kind of interested in the same type of improvisation and reverence for it and belief that it can be
1: pretty cool. It it, it is pretty cool. Let me describe something about your show, the TJ and Dave show, or TJ and Dave. When you get on stage, you introduce yourselves, you work the crowd a little bit sometimes, and then the lights go off. And then the lights come back on, and you're just standing there staring at each other. Or the audience is waiting, wondering what's going to happen. So are TJ and Dave, I assume. <laughs> You're trying to read the situation and read your partner. There are no audience suggestions to kick off the show. There's no plan that, Frank, they don't say, All right, give me mm. a time and a place. Right, that's and what they
2: usually do. Give me a style. Those things,
1: yeah. Nothing like that. It just mm. kind of comes out of, well, seemingly nowhere, though I know better from reading your book that mm. it's not <laughs> actually out of nowhere. TJ and Dave begin each night as a complete blank without even a glimmer of an idea about who they're going to be for the next hour or where they'll find themselves. And yet, without fail, this elaborate, operatic, two person play or more it could be well it's two people but it could be many characters Mm -hmm. filled with incredibly rich characters and situations emerges completely is the phrase tabula rasa it's a kind of a as we walk in yeah yeah Mm -hmm. hopefully blank slate yeah a blank slate but it's not really a blank slate. You and TJ, along with Pam Victor, Victor, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a book called Improvisation at the Speed of Life, where you talk about your approach to this kind of long form, seemingly out of nowhere improv. Tell us a little bit about what that style developed from you talk about things like dare to bore and prepare yourself by knowing everything you possibly can which is one of my favorite sections of the book because we were taught that as actors as well Mm -hmm. know everything one of my professors once said because you never know when it's going to come in handy and i imagine Mm -hmm. that it's even more important in that respect so you start with nothing but it's not really nothing is it right and
0: i think some a lot of times when people are improvising they're thinking oh what can I make this into? And w- we look at it a little differently. We try to figure out what is this already? So it's more about discovery than invention. For and, and, it, and the reason for that is not out of any noble cause. It just seems to work better than making stuff up. We'll just find out. And, and it's real simple stuff. The way we're standing will inform the way you're, you the way you look at me tells me who i am so i better be paying attention to you so that i'll be able to figure out who i am so we try to figure out what it is that we're what we're stepping into when the lights come up rather than making stuff up
1: yeah there's this metaphysical quality that the scene or the situation is already going on and you're kind of stepping into it that right. something is already happening Before you even know what that thing is, and you're picking it up in the middle, towards the beginning, towards the end, somewhere Somewhere along the line. Another thing that you mention in your book is being funny is not the goal. Being present is the goal.
0: Right, um, and that's for this kind of improvisation. A lot of time, improvisation, the goal is to be funny. That's just not what. That's what, what a
1: lot of people go to Second City to do—to okay. right. drink and laugh. Right, and are
0: also a lot of game improvisation games or short forms or scenes. The job that they're supposed to be doing is being funny. That's not our job.
2: And but isn't that an offshoot? Sometimes often, things become funny. It yeah. often
0: is, yeah. But when the goal is to be funny and you fall short, mm-hmm. it's brutal uh, for everyone involved. Um, But when the goal is just to be present, you can, you can maintain that. Then some funny comes along. Great. Absolutely. But also it's open to these other Uh can be sad. It can be heartwarming. It can be kind. um, It can be brutal. It can be scary, Mm -hmm. but it's limited.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. You trained early in your career with, the famous Del Close. Famous to us. If you don't know who he is, Google him, get his book. Uh, you'll learn an awful lot about this style of improvisation. And you'll learn an awful lot about life. One thing he said, this is a quote that I love, the improviser's job is to live an interesting life, then tell people about it.
0: Yeah, that's what I remember mm. from class. And But it's weird because I, I've gone to, I've sat in on classes taught by people that were fellow students with me, with Dell. And then they'd they say things like, well, as Dell always said, and then they'd say something that I've never heard before. <laughs> and I was in every class that they were in. Things get uh, you know, yeah, credited
2: right? to him, which may or may not have right,
0: been him. Right, and th- like, even sometimes I've been in classes and the people th- say, well, as Dell always said, X. And my understanding is, not only did I never hear Dell say X, he couldn't
1: have said it he did not believe that
0: so i mean it's just all something's getting screwed
1: up (laughs) Well, a lot of things, yeah, get attributed to Dell. Frank, did you ever take an improv class? I have didn't. you ever I've trained improv in improv classes?
2: But I've you never, have. Yeah, yeah.
1: How, tell us about oh, not that. Not improv
2: classes, but I've taught acting classes where we've done units on improv. So.
1: And, and you've used improv as a, as a acting tool as a, <laughs> yeah
2: as a way. And whenever I had auditions for plays, I always had people do improvs because. I wanted to see the personality that was there. I wanted to see what they were willing to do, how far out they were willing to go. I didn't care if they could read. I would have students who'd come in who had reading difficulties. Well, that really has nothing to do with whether or not you can act. I wanted to see the person, and that showed me the personality you much know, more you, you so. You mean reading a script? Yeah. Not necessarily... I never ever had people get up and read from a script. I, I just, see. Because I, first of all, I didn't want to hear the same thing 30 times. Yeah. But also, I didn't care. I don't care if they can read or not. I assume that if they get a part they will have someone read it to them to learn their lines maybe mm-hmm. but you know a lot of people don't read very well or they read like this and it's very important when they're reading but if they're being themselves in some kind of improv and i would give them very simple things you know to do like boyfriend and girlfriend in an argument or something things that they could relate to but i'd like to see the person yeah. not not to hear him read
1: you, you've also taught improv david uh, I have. Uh, many many occasions what do you find to be people's biggest impediment to performing this 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 art form? I, I call it an art form. I've never actually jumped in with both feet into an improv situation because other than this, it scares right. me. <laughs> the, this the, is improv. The, in, I mean. in, a, in a way. What do you find to be people's normal, everyday, average people's impediment? Most most important impediment to well, I th-
0: I think they think that the job is different than the job is. I think they think they're supposed to be funny and that's an impediment to improvising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the most important thing in improvising is li- you know paying attention, listening and just paying attention. So as long as you're doing that, you're fine. Um, and you don't have to be funny, you don't have to be... We, we were teaching this workshop once in it was overseas and there was people from a bunch of different countries there and, and this one woman got up and we just like to see what everybody's doing. So we put them together and have them just improvise a little bit, little short things. And this one woman would jump out in every scene and interrupt and do crazy voices and real clownish behavior, always facing out to the audience. And we were just like, huh, okay. And we didn't talk them to ourselves, TG and I. We were just like, okay, took note of that. That's something we're gonna have to, that's not <laughs> what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And at intermission, she came up to us, and she goes, "I had no idea. I mean, I had no idea I didn't have to do that. I mean, you saw me. Uh, (laughs) She was doing what she thought, uh what she was supposed to be doing. Uh Um, And for us, you don't. That's not why you. You don't have to do that. You can just kind of be genuine moment to moment, and the rest of it takes care of itself.
2: How was she after that? She was great. Okay.
0: She was great. Totally relaxed. So." Bec- there, there's a peace that comes over you when you realize you don't have to do this mm-hmm. thing that you don't have to do mm-hmm. that. You, you know, I'm, I i can not do that. I can't make you laugh. Mm-hmm.
1: I can be genuine in fits and starts. So I, I've seen the TJ and Dave, um, at the IO. Why do I laugh? Why do I laugh almost uncontrollably sometimes? Uh, not that funny things don't happen, but that's not your goal. And, and frequently, there's long stretches where nothing really funny is going on. But I am on the edge of my seat, wondering what the next line or the next discovery is going to be.
0: Well, I think a lot of it is the audiences, the people that are there are up for it. And that, it, it, that's what it requires. It requires interested people watching it. And so that 's kind of all we 're asking is that everybody well, let 's all find out together what we 're doing we 're all finding out at exactly the same time what 's going on, and people that are invested in that tend to pay closer attention and I know from talking to people that a lot of times oh I think I bet they 're going to do this, or I bet they're, I bet those guys that we saw earlier are going to show up in the basement or and it doesn 't happen or it does happen maybe, but everybody's kind of playing at home as well. It requires an an interested audience for us to be able to do. And mm. in Chicago, and we're in New York too, the people that come are just have, are real supportive. They're great, it's great. Yeah, I it,
2: think there's an element too, like in, in a lot of current television, and Veep is a good example, they don't have laugh tracks. Whereas back in the day, like, okay, you laugh here because the audience is laughing and you feel you have to. Whereas you can watch a show like that, or a lot of the shows that are out the office, any of those, and you may laugh at the person next to you, may not. You're sort of given freedom to laugh at what you think is funny. Mm-hmm. And they're not trying, they're not making jokes. A lot of it's situational, a lot of it's ironic, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that probably assumes what's happening in, in the improv.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there, if you tell anyone what made you laugh so hard, it means absolutely nothing to them. Because they're, they weren't there to see the, oh, that guy really loves his shoes. So when uh, that coffee got dropped on it, then ah oh, was... But they weren't theirs.
1: So, I mean, they're not jokes. Yeah. Right. So you can't repeat them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Unlike doing a play, this is happening only... Well, it's happening for the first time and the only time. Right. You can't repeat it. You right. don't repeat it. I assume you don't draw back characters from previous no, sessions. No, we, we
0: don't. The only reason it may look like that is if I'm playing uh, uh, a lady who's 50 years old, I'm not good enough to distinguish between this lady and the lady that happened to be there last week, you know, Uh, but they're not the same person to us. Right. It's just this. this The circumstances are different.
2: Different Right. And the relationship. Absolutely.
1: You perform TJ and Dave at the IO, formerly the Improv Olympic, now called the small I, capital O.
0: Because of the... International Olympic Committee cease and desist order. Precisely.
1: Really. Precisely. I was in touch with the person who runs the I.O. and is responsible for its founding and responsible for the amazing careers of a lot of people, Sharna, Sharna
0: Halpern. Sharna's uh, fantastic. Sharna She's is, always is, left, is, had a home uh, for us there. She's great. She, and not only that, a home for us as improvisers she also provided me with an actual home
1: i understand <laughs> that she did early in your career or life mm-hmm. when you were either a student or slightly after being a student she provided you with a home to live in which yeah. was her home right and what was the deal i cooked i cooked dinner mm. uh, you were the chef yeah
0: once in a while i cooked dinner and uh, and i got to live in in her house i was living under my car my car broke down and so she let me uh, she let me live there for a while it was great.
1: Really nice. She's always been, she's nothing but great. She also told me that you do great impressions. I, she's a liar. <laughs> you, you don't do great impressions. No. She's a liar. I, one, I, but a liar. <laughs> I think, she, I think she wanted me to bring that up just to put you on the spot, because I think that she knows you don't do great impressions. <laughs> Thanks, Sharon. Uh, do you do any impressions at all? No, not. None whatsoever? No, not a single one. Really? Mm-hmm. You don't do a John Wayne or a Sinatra or a nope. n- nothing? No, one? I leave that to those who are capable. <laughs> no. Same as singing.
0: I leave well. that to those who can do it.
1: You do juggle, though, I understand. I do juggle. Yeah. You, you juggled in one of your improv, what was it, a sketch, or was it, an, was it a stand-up act? or Oh, the apples? Yeah. Yeah, stand,
0: part of stand-up, yeah.
1: Yeah. Was that a big hit? Did that go over well? I enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) I always enjoyed it. It uh, Your goal
1: is not to be funny. No,
0: it was, uh, so I juggle apples around, it was started out around Halloween and I'd juggle apples and I'd say that uh, I've placed razor blades in two of the apples and while I'm juggling, I will bite out of the apple that doesn't have the razor blade in it. That's,
2: (laughs) that was the setup. And then you do.
0: I do, but I I juggle, and then I drop them all, uh, and then I let them know that, oh, the one was marked with a bruise, (laughs) and then so I juggle them, and I eat it, and just ridiculous amounts of blood start coming out of my mouth. (laughs) I really enjoyed that bit. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great.
1: I wanted to ask you about the Mission Theater. Mm -hmm. You are the co-founder and co-artistic director of the Mission Theater. Any longer? No.
0: We only lasted about a year. About Uh, a year. TJ and
1: I, yeah. When
0: Sharna moved to her new place, which is over on Kingsbury now, over by, depending upon your point of reference, Whole
1: Foods or the Strip Club. uh, (laughs) 1501 North Kingsbury. For those of you wanting to go to the I.O. to see TJ and Dave or or anything, there's stuff stuff there every single night of the week. They have four performance spaces that are full every night of the
0: week. Wow. Wow. and yeah, there's a couple shifts. There's, there's always a full some bar. bar. Right.
1: You, you can nice. drink in the, in the rooms of course, but uh, it's also a cool place to just hang out. And and, pretty good food
2: and pretty good food. <laughs> now are they all improvs going on or do they sometimes have straight shows or
0: they do have s- scripted stuff sometimes, okay. uh, usually more towards, you know, comedy. I don't, they don't, uh, it's more comedy than, okay. And they, they wouldn't have any just, drams. Uh, dramas. Long and, days journey into night right. or anything. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> Improved. Yeah, improv. <laughs> we'll just take the struck. Give us give us a setting and give us a character, and we'll just improv Long death Day's of the salesman, Journey. Death yeah. of the salesman. So, this, okay, walk over to the table, <laughs> and Willie, and drop your bags and slump <laughs> in your chair and yeah. go. What days have you and TJ played regularly at DIO? Was we it Wednesday started, nights? We started
0: on Wednesday nights at 11 p.m., that coveted 11, <laughs> Yeah, yeah
1: right right after lodge 49
0: i think yeah yeah, we started out late because in case uh doing shows if Uh i was doing plays i could always always make it yeah so at mission the mission theater we opened up as a sketch review yeah and we did we had two reviews we had a a company that was uh fantastic performers and tj and i uh, directed it and we had two sketch reviews and we could only stay open a year people just we couldn't get people in the door the performers were fantastic, and the material they they were doing was their own material, that uh, we developed through improvisation, and it was really good. It was weird, and some of it was actually scary. It's, it was they were wonderful. They were mm. great. Yeah, we're both very proud of everything that was on those the stage, because we were open every night. But just uh, it's too business-wise, we 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 okay. failed them.
2: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> when was that? What year was that? And I
0: think fifteen.
2: Fifteen. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right
1: or 16
2: okay
1: I want to ask Frank about something that he just saw speaking of dramas and straight plays Mm -hmm. uh, non-improv I was not able to go to this because I was uh, working on my concert sequence that week but you attended with our producer a play called Sheepdog at the Shattered Globe Theatre directed by our friend and friend of the show Wardell Julius Clark Frank, tell us about your impressions of the play. It's running at the Witt Theater, I think, uh, Belmont, at, yeah. uh, uh, at 1229 West Belmont through the 29th of February. So there's still a good chance yeah, to see yeah. it. What did you uh, Well, think I would
2: recommend people do see it. It's, it's, I think it's an important play. It deals with Black Lives Matter cop shooting times that we're in. And um, it's a black and white couple. They're both policemen. And um, there is one of those kinds of shootings and how it affects them and their relationship. And um, it's, it's really, you know, quite powerful. I had some questions about it, but the questions only lead, I think, to discussion. And that's good. You know, I was saying to someone earlier that even a bad production of this play, which this is not, it's a superb production, but even a bad production of this play will cause you to discuss things that happened in the play. And for that reason, I think it's, I think it's important to see.
1: Does it take place in Chicago?
2: It takes place in Cleveland, Cleveland. which is kind of chicago in the sense that the cops face a lot of the similar circumstances that, yeah. uh, that they do here. But the performances are excellent, particularly the young man who is the white character. And uh, he shows a lot of dimension. He gets involved in a situation. And you see it from a lot of different points of view. The play doesn't give you answers, but... And it doesn't make excuses for things, but it shows reasons why certain things happen. And it it helps you kind of understand and make you angry.
1: This play is by Kevin Artigue. Mm-hmm. And again, directed by Wardell Julius Clark, running through February 29th. Chris Jones gave it a very thoughtful he and did. very nice review yeah, in the Chicago yeah. Tribune. Four stars. Mm-hmm. So it's she doesn't do very often. Not very often. It is absolutely worth going to see. And I, I plan to see it in the, in the coming uh, week yeah, or you two. Should. Uh, you should. I've got a Everyone few things should. on my docket to see, including Bug at Steppenwolf. Which, which I'm you're seeing going this to week, this weekend. yeah. And uh, we're going to row at the Goodman Theater as well yeah. uh, about the Roe v. Wade. Right, not about um, case. fish eggs. Not about fish eggs, or a crew team,
2: or, or a crew team. <laughs> yeah. Well, or maybe it is. Maybe maybe they bring true. all that in. We don't know. We don't know. I, we, we'll find I, out. I, I,
1: I do not know. <laughs> I understand that you foster dogs. You and your wife are you more my dog? wife. Your wife, yes, is a dog fosterer. Yes,
0: she works. Uh, she volunteers over at Paws, and so we end up oh. with uh, we end up with pups.
1: And how long do you generally keep them before you send them off to their forever homes? We usually just a couple weeks. Oh. usually
0: yeah. It's usually in there, there for for some reason they have to they can't be in general population for because of their age or something they haven't yeah. their shots or whatever. Yeah, is it
1: hard to give them up?
0: Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes happy
2: to.
1: (laughs) Well, Frank, I don't know if you've been reading about this uh, emotional support animal decision from the FAA that just came out. They are going to designate a support animal as a dog a dog who performs a specific Not a peacock, function
2: which people have had. We've
1: done stories yeah. uh I've reported on this program about emotional support ducks on planes uh-huh. wearing shoes <laughs> pigs on planes uh, we even did a story about an emotional support clown that some guy brought to work when he was in fear of being fired by his boss. So he he, he wanted a companion to kind of lighten the mood. I, he got fired anyway, but yeah, the emotional support clown was about the farthest I've ever heard anybody go. In but I think, yeah, they're limited support. to
2: dogs, and I think it has to be a certified service dog or something like that, too, now. It's true. So it's there's true. all these so it other... has to be able to perform tasks? Something like that. But, yeah, it was getting ridiculous. It really was. It's People are certainly... like, that, I need my chihuahua with me because yeah. whatever. Take a Xanax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Come on>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or drive. Or drive. <laughs> or drive. Take the train. Besides Del Close, who
1: we've talked about a little bit, who... Who were your earliest influences in the art of improvisation?
0: Uh, well, actually, my introduction was following my brother Tom along to uh, a class that he was attending at the Old Players Workshop at Second City, and our teacher was Judy Morgan. And she was in the cast at Second City with Harold Ramis and Joe Flaherty and Brian Doyle Murray and John mm-hmm. Belushi. And, Classics. And, so and Judy, I mean, it was one of those cats. Uh-huh. and... Uh, and Eugenie Ross Lemming. That was one of those amazing. Ca- Dell was their director, mm-hmm. so that was my introduction to improvisation. And then I started reading about. it. I read Jeff Sweet's book, Something Wonderful Right Away, and I uh, I didn't really know that much about improvisation. You know, I didn't. I knew it was second. I knew Second City was, but they, their show isn't really improv- improvisation. That it's a sketch review,
1: but it's created through yes, improv. It is. And then they kind of set exactly. some things exactly. a little bit. I yep. mean, it, right. may, it may not be exactly the same every night. It might not be like a written, written script, pretty, but it's pretty, pretty close, close yep. right?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, but it's it developed out of improvised scenes. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to Bernie about this. They just stumbled, kind of stumbled across that. They, so they asked for suggestions from the audience. So the, they know that the audience is thinking about these things because they get that suggestion frequently. And they've performed it in front of an audience many times before it becomes a show, so they don't have to wonder if it's going to work. Mm. Mm. So it's it's already proven yeah. before the show opens. Yeah. So it's a pretty, pretty nice formula. Scripted improv. Yeah, almost. right. It's what it becomes, right? Yeah.
1: Which is why they can advertise it and they put a title to it. Right. Uh-huh. And
0: that's the show. And that was the thing. Bernie thought that you could not charge for improvisation, and Dell believed that improvisation itself was this sh- could be the show
1: mm. Mm. we saw your show one night and it was on november 9th 2016 which is the day after <laughs> the election and i remember sitting at the bar with a lot of very depressed people um including our producer and your show was immensely cathartic that night. I can't even remember what you guys were doing, what you did, but it was a complete release from the well, we were a little depressed, Frank, as yeah. you know, which is Well as was I because November eighth, twenty sixteen
2: was my birthday, so yeah. happy birthday was to was me. A terrible gift. And it was a milestone birthday, so I had a big party going on with all these TVs and yeah. Memorable. I should have I should have come to your show the next day.
1: Have you ever you and TJ, or, or, well, let's just stick with you and TJ. Have you ever played talking animals in your improv? Are you always people?
0: I don't think we've ever been not people, TJ and I. I don't think How about so. about
2: inanimate objects?
0: I don't think so. I don't think okay. we have ever. I certainly have, and in other. Sure. Uh, uh. Uh, and still would be happy to. <laughs>
1: uh, but I just, I don't think that we ever have. Well, it depends what you're reading from your partner obviously. yeah yeah I mean, the way
2: you set it up that sounds like it'd be very odd that i look at you and you're supposed to be a chair and you're supposed to know that from yeah right
0: and the yeah. way you're looking at me yeah. i can't imagine that you're right a llama yeah, right. right you exactly. look you look an like, awful lot like a human that's right
1: so. <laughs> well we do a segment on our show called good times and bum times every once in a while david in good times uh, humble bragging Good week for humble bragging after Burt Ward, who played Robin, uh, to Adam West's Batman in the campy 1960s TV series, claimed that network officials made him take penis-reducing pills to reduce a large bulge (laughs) in his skin-tight costume.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know the feeling.
1: Ward is now 74, and he said he complied for three days, but then he just used his cape to cover it up. (laughs) I've never heard this story before.
2: Never 74 heard of years he yeah.
1: old he is and this is the first I'm hearing about uh, this.
2: Well, I've never heard of those kind of pills either. Not that anyone would want to take them.
1: But what about Adam West?
2: Yeah. yeah. Did he care? Maybe they wanted him to have a larger bulge. Well, he was Batman. Two. He was Batman, and Robin shouldn't have been too bulgy, I guess. He's
0: boy wonder. He's he was cat.
2: boy wonder. Yeah, that's true. He, yeah. he is he the boy wonder. He was not wonder. Man wonder. Mm-hmm. No.
1: Uh, in our <laughs> bum time segment, it's a bum time for cat owners. Uh, you used to be a cat owner, I Frank. I uh, We are now cat owners, so approaching a year now. She was up here a moment ago. Now she's lying in the corner. Well, it's a bum <laughs> time for cat owners after a new study found evidence that cats will eat human flesh including its owner's corpse if there's no other food around.
2: Good to know?
1: Now you know, our cat has become finicky about some of the food we give her. She, she's she's she gone off the chicken.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, she uh-huh.
1: just 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 won't, won't
2: eat it. Chicken. Is she licking her lips as she looks at you? That? <laughs> well, she that's licking, what, I'm, no chicken. That's that what I'm a tasty. little afraid
1: of. <laughs> Uh, that's our good times and bum time segment. I suppose any
2: animal would do that, really, if there's like no food.
1: I think
0: your I think your dog will not.
2: You don't think dogs would?
0: I I think that's that's correct. They good would. for you. They,
2: the dog will not eat
0: you if you die. If you die in the apartment
2: for a couple of days, you're laying there. Dog no dog will
0: still not eat you. Cat will eat you.
2: Oh. Hmm. What about a guinea Ew. pig or <laughs> any of the other animals? They're caged. <laughs> I don't no, think they can. That's do. true. Your iguana, your, your snake, your bird, if you vultures. If you, that's our oh, vultures. Oh yes, my pet vulture. they eat you, probably. My pet vulture
0: Reggie. <laughs> yeah, and my pet hyena. Yeah, they uh, won't. Yeah. Oddly enough, the hyena will not.
2: Really? Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> They're just waiting for you to die. Right. You they know. don't
2: wait, and they'll they laugh.
1: Don't, they don't wait. <laughs> we talked about your appearance in several, several seasons of Veep. Mm-hmm. Fantastic show. One of the greatest scripted shows I've ever seen. What's and it? that was pretty
2: much 100% scripted, right? There wasn't any improv or was there some?
0: Those were scripts. And then there would be time, you know, takes that were not scripted.
2: Oh, they would, with the same situation, they now just improvise it, or yes,
0: sometimes. Right, oh, nice. And then they would. Take and them. sometimes they just let after the scene was finished. They just keep rolling, and you do other stuff. And they would use some of that. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. That's I think. That's, and then there was also improvisation within the rehearsal process too. We'd go oh. and have a read, and read it, and then get up and work stuff out, and the writers. Are, jot stuff down if they liked it, if they didn't like it they wouldn't write it down and then it was a new script would I think come back that
2: gave the show a spontaneous feel to it it gave it a very real happening in front of us as opposed to designed and blocked out and all that it, it, it felt yeah. very fresh
1: my one objection really is that the, the writing is so clever that sometimes julia louis dreyfus would say something so outrageously funny and i'd miss sort of the next few lines because i i was laughing so hard i of course it, we can always
2: rewind on a this is
1: true uh so what's it like flirting with julia louis dreyfus oh yeah. really rough work
0: yeah <laughs> that's a tough that's a slog
1: she is so beautiful she's wonderful
0: show. she's delightful yeah and you she's, guys had a great
2: love hate kind of relationship in yeah, the show too she's
0: just
1: real it's a she's a she's just great as I said, you play Andrew, her ex husband, mm-hmm. who's. And how did that come about? Did you just a regular audition?
2: Or?
0: Right. I auditioned, I auditioned a lot for that show, mm-hmm. a bunch of different parts, and then uh-huh. I ended up with that one. Ah.
1: Did you know her from
0: her Chicago no, days? No, I did not. I really didn't know. And I didn't know Kevin. I knew Gary a little bit, Gary Cole. Mm-hmm. But we'd been introduced because I did a show at The Remains. Um, yeah, they've but, all done stuff here. Right. Yeah. Al- almost all of the, or not all, uh, who Reed and Tony Hale, I think, are the only two that were not, okay. that have some Chicago roots. And I knew Matt, Matt Walsh, uh, but I had not met Julia before. I had not met uh, Kevin Dunn before. I had not met Anna.
1: I went to school with Kevin Dunn as well. Oh, wow. He was a uh, senior when I was a freshman and was, you know, one of those you could tell he was destined for greater things just what just everybody on
0: there too is they're really bright and kind and everyone's playing a horrible evil idiot and they're just no very likable way no one's like that i mean they're just it's they're all like it's it's
1: they're lovely people (laughs) it's it's an absolutely fantastic show if you haven't watched veep Start at the very beginning yeah, and uh, watch, watch the seven seasons, I guess. I'm jeal- if seasons. you've not
2: watched it, I'm jealous because you get to experience all that for the first time.
1: In your book, you talk about a concept or the concepts of heat and weight. Fascinating chapter of your book. Can you describe heat and weight to our listeners as it applies to the work you do with TJ on stage?
0: Yes, I can try. So those terms, uh, heat and weight, refer to the gravity of the situation and the emotional charge of it. So we don't know anything when we're starting, so we're kind of figuring it all out. And It's like, well, what does this feel? This feels casual. Okay, so it's not not a lot of heat, right? It's not this seems casual. Uh, Sometimes somebody comes blasting into a room and they're fuming. That's got more heat. And then what is the weight of the situation? How grave is this? They seem... It seems like someone, someone's life is in danger. That's a different thing. Like the, the stakes basically is another way to view it. So the stakes and the emotional charge.
2: Mm-hmm. And that would have both heat and weight mm-hmm. if a person comes in and in some kind of danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. A, a lot of heat would be an opening line like my mother's lying in the next room in a coffin and you're asking me for a divorce. That has a lot of heat to it right away. how it's said. Well, (laughs) true. That would would sort of set up a slightly heated situation to start with, right? Or a little bit more heat in the relationship. Right. Potentially. But but going back to what we were talking about earlier, what is this already,
0: right? Well, what is this feeling? So it's just trying to suss out and feel like it. And we, and it doesn't, the the calibration of heat to weight is like, that's the thing about studying improvisation. You try to figure it out. It's just like, it's not, there's no figuring it out. Just just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But these are ways that we, we just, we didn't do this on purpose. We just noticed that we tend to look at things this way. And you know, those, uh, those different, when in a helicopter, when they're looking through walls for a heat signature, yeah, um, right, yeah, Where we see a blob, and then the closer we get, it's like, okay, that oh, that might that might be a dog, it might be a, a colt. And then when you get closer and it starts to reveal itself more, it's like, okay, we know roughly the size of that thing. It seems like a mammal. Okay. And we get closer, it's like, okay, it's just, it's a dog. But at first, we're, so we're just trying to figure out, and we use these uh, rubrics or these characteristics to, to because we're, it's helpful to look at it more that way than to try to figure out, are you my dad or are you not my dad? Because that doesn't matter. What is our relationship and what, it, uh, whether we're father, son, is not as important as we're friendly with one another or there's animus between us. Th- those things are more important. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah, we really cannot be in the same room. Doesn't matter if we're father, son, doesn't matter if we're guard, prisoner, doesn't matter.
2: Does that come later then as you're going? Um, or yeah, does that not have to happen at all?
0: It doesn't always happen, but um, as long as we're consistent with what we've established or, or what's been established, we, it doesn't, and then it might come out, it might not come out, okay. but we're not going to change our behavior anyway, uh-huh. depending
2: upon it. You've established who you
0: are. Right. Uh-huh. Regardless of the label. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Feel- and the, the speed of life that we, because people talk the, the difference about, you know, it's slow comedy or fast. And this is, I think it's neither. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, this is the way it goes. Neither and both. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool.
1: You say in the uh, introduction or near the introduction of your book that you learned many lessons from Dell Close that you still employ every time you take the stage decades later. I mean, it's been many years since uh, you worked with Dell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dell taught you to play slowly without worrying about entertaining the audience. This mm-hmm. goes back to the goal is well, not, not to job. be funny, mm-hmm. right? He stressed the importance of playing at the top of your intelligence. This Mm. goes back to know everything or know as much about things as you can. Keep up on current events, study human behavior, just everything. He instructed you to play characters close to yourselves as a thin veil and to respond honestly to the scenes and the other players. Do you feel that when you're out there with TJ, do you ever reach really far for a character that's very unlike you that you don't really know much about, but you're going to create it anyway because that's how you're feeling? You mentioned a 50 year old woman. Yeah, that's, yeah, but
0: I've been around a lot of them. <laughs> that's um, true. For my whole life. We sometimes play characters that are broader or, yeah, f- further reach. Um, li- often later on, Not from the beginning, usually. Mm. Because we need to have, like most of the character, if it's a real strong character, oftentimes that's a restriction on certain thoughts of my person. And I need it all to figure out what's going on. Once something's been established, we've talked about someone, we've talked about a character and given them attributes, I can go play that person. Mm in a different manner because I'm it's already been basically it's been written. The character description has been written already by us during the show. So I go and the
2: mother or something like that. Exactly and you go and she's a mother.
0: shrew. Uh-huh. We know she's a shrew, she's a miser, she's a hideous person. I'll go play her. Uh huh. Um, but when it's when we don't know that about ourselves, so uh, we tend to play it a little closer to, to us.
1: Mm. Another big lesson that you took from Dell uh, was not to talk too much because overusing words diminishes the power of each one. Uh, Dell taught us to dare to be poets. You talk a bit in your book, Impro- Improvisation at the Speed of Life, about don't be afraid of the silence. Yeah.
0: Again, I think some of that is the, the reason that people are afraid of silence is uh, that they, they think they're supposed to be you know, entertaining. The joke there's, in there somewhere. Right. Yeah. And people, you know, we're just doing, we're, we're kind of, we're trying to be believable. And oftentimes, people don't talk.
2: Well, do you feel that silence with tension? You yeah, feel it with thinking. You feel there's a lot right? of things. It's not empty. Yeah, you're not just standing there.
1: I recall laughing through some of the silences when I've seen your show because mm-hmm. there you are in a situation and suddenly something gets thrown out and you're just, you guys just sat there. Awkwardness is hilarious. This awkward silence. It's sometimes an awkward silence, sometimes not. Sometimes it's a very knowing silence. And it can be some of the more entertaining and funniest portions of your evening.
0: Yeah, uh, TJ says that you always have, just to remind, when we're teaching, we're reminding people, you always have the option to respond with silence mm. you don't have to
1: respond with words all the time I wanted to mention along these same lines something that I've been reading recently got this for Christmas it's called life isn't everything it is a Mike Nichols as remembered by 150 of his closest friends oh, Nice. it's really a series of quotes from people like angelica houston and cynthia nixon and his stage manager peter lawrence jeremy irons emmanuel Eisenberg, the producer meryl streep share all these people that he worked with and it's a chronicle of his life it starts from the very very beginning where they're talking uh, old friends are talking about him Mm. uh, about his escape from Germany and I think it was 1938 when he and his brother were put on a boat to come to America Uh, his father was a physician uh, and followed them subsequently after but couldn't get out right away Uh, but he did eventually it's sort of like reading a biography, except through the eyes and words of a, a 150 of his closest yeah, friends,
2: many of whom we know. Probably, it's a
1: fascinating book. It goes through a whole long period of his improvisation days with Elaine. Were Nicholson May significant in your development as a world-class improviser at all?
0: Um, I'm a huge fan, but I didn't start listening to them until later on.
1: Yeah. If
0: yeah. you're already involved in it yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a terrific read. I'm about a third of the way through it, and I, I have to keep putting it down because I can't... I, I haven't been able to read anything else. Life isn't everything. Also a quote from... Mike. Uh, I worked with Mike Nichols on The Real Thing on Broadway. I was a stage manager in New York for many years. And when Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close returned to the cast after they had gone off because they had to make movies or something, of course, please, (laughs) they came back and uh, Mike came back in to redirect them. Subsequently, I also did the national tour so are you with in the book? And, <laughs> any quotes from you? Know, you know, I, I, I keep flipping be. forward and I can't <laughs> find my name anywhere. Hmm. Yeah. You're, uh, as I mentioned in our intro, you're a voiceover legend here in Chicago and around the world. Uh, again, if people have not seen you in Veep or Lodge 49 or Groundhog Day or uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm or uh, any of... The wonderful shows that you've been in they've at least heard your voice you're famous for a line in a mcdonald's commercial called did somebody say mcdonald's yep. is that you
0: that was me did Can somebody say <laughs> mcdonald's did somebody say mcdonald's and that was uh, uh bob merlotti wrote that
2: <laughs> yep beautifully written would you mind it was
0: great and they and and i just happened to i he brought me in on a saturday could you just do this was for a demo and then uh and then at the same time there was uh jim ferguson was kind of running for tracy down in dallas i think but he had been given the he was in charge of uh the like national mcdonald's stuff and it was his idea that well you know what instead of having different voices all around we should have just the one one voice and i just i just lucked out it was really great it was really great (laughs) i'm sure but because i didn't even go back in all of a sudden i hear my voice on the tv i didn't even know it was just for a demo and they just used
1: it yeah
2: did you do it in one take
1: yeah probably (laughs) If I can manage it, and I'm not the greatest audio editor of all time, would you mind if I tried to insert your commercial voiceover reel into our episode somewhere? Sure. I think sure. we can actually sure. find I'm, it. and I am online. available. I am available oh, for go. voiceover
2: work. Okay.
0: <laughs> A lot can happen in 5.2 seconds. Introducing the new Lexus GS450H. I know what's worrying you. You're not getting any younger. You're even regretting some of those crazy things you did in your 20s. Will you remember how to drink coffee without a plastic lid? Celebrity Cruises. I remember this one time. No, that wasn't me. Imagine a phone with intelligence and intimidating good looks. Imagine the intersection of form and function. Well, looky here. A high-tech company that's actually hiring. Susan, this might just be the wine talking, but... I think I want to order more wine. Dramatic results. Without the celebrity price tag, Kellogg's Special K. 100% taste, 1% fat. Information is one thing, insight is another. Merrill Lynch. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to have a nice big sandwich and a Bud Light. So I go to the refrigerator. He goes to the refrigerator. Yeah. Take notes, get noticed, turn heads. New thinkpad. Did somebody say McDonald's? Inspired thinking comes from great coffee. Millstone. Let the curious mind wander. How are the kids? Great source of disappointment. Want one?
1: Things about you can be found at DavidPasquazi.com. Some things I have not I have not updated it in a very long time. I'm terrible about really? that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Because it does say you're, like, 24. <laughs> well, that's true. David, 24. Is... Does voiceover work still pay really well? Um, I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah, you haven't I done haven't, it in a while. I
0: haven't. I haven't been. I haven't gotten a voiceover job in a little while. Um, I used to work all the time, and it just yeah. kind of... Ended up doing other stuff, but uh, I just, I don't know, it just went, kind of went away. It, it yeah. changed drastically. But when I first started, there was, you know, Chicago was this post production hub, and because of technology, they had to record people that were here. And they don't have to do that anymore. They can record anybody anywhere in the world, mm. and um, anybody can do it. So I was, I, I benefited
1: from having a lot of work here and not a lot of people doing it. So Booth One is focused on giving the chicago theater community a forum for telling their stories and sharing their passions in fact we are one of the only outlets for that platform Mm -hmm. frank uh if you'd like to support booth one and bringing you the best and lively conversation about the arts and popular culture and amazing guests like david pasquese you can go to our website at booth-one.com that's booth-one correct Dot com. Click on the donate button. It's easy, it's quick, and it's tax deductible under mm. our 501c3. <laughs> I, 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 I see you perking up there, <laughs> David. Yeah. <laughs> tax uh, deductible. Yeah, as our status as a nonprofit entity, any and all contributions would, of course, be greatly, greatly appreciated. Well, David, we end each episode with a segment that uh, we call The Kiss of Death. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Shuffle off this mortal coil. Yeah, uh, It's really a celebration of someone that we've just lost. They could be famous, not so famous. Uh, show business, not so much in show business. This person is in show business and quite famous. But I could not absolutely resist this. Buck Henry, oh. comedian who created the satirical spy sitcom with Mel Brooks and turned plastics into a counterculture catchword with his Oscar-nominated screenplay for... The graduate mm-hmm. uh, is my Mike Nichols callback. This is excerpted mostly from the Washington Post. Mr. Henry dabbled in improvisational comedy as well as theater, television, and film. He received an Academy Award nomination for co directing the 1978 afterlife comedy Heaven Can Wait with Warren Beatty. Did uh-huh. you know this, Frank?
2: I did know, actually. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. that movie.
1: Uh, he wrote the Barbra Streisand Screwball comedies The Owl and the Pussycat and What's Up, Doc? That's from the 70s, and appeared as a droll supporting actor in nearly every film he helped create, including a turn as the hotel clerk in The Graduate.
2: That's a great, yeah, yeah. That's
1: a great, great scene. I never wanted to stay at anything very long, he told the New York Times. I'm moderately lazy, and I'm interested in much too large a list of things up than my career hmm did you ever meet Buck Henry I never did. Uh, David or work with him in any nope. way yeah. Huge fans yeah. I all.
2: did <laughs> I am um, I was at the Telluride Film Festival and he was going to the same restaurant as we were going in and I stopped and talked to him for maybe five minutes he was very nice and didn't mind someone coming up to him on the street so I did have my Buck Henry encounter
1: that's fantastic mr. Henry maintained a close association with Saturday Night Live where he hosted 10 episodes He hosted 10 episodes in the show's first five seasons. Hmm. In one sketch, I remember he played Lord Douchebag, an 18th century English nobleman. Lord and Lady Douchebag. There's like a dinner party and they keep (laughs) introducing Lord and Lady Salisbury, the guy who created the Salisbury steaks. (laughs) And then suddenly there's Lord and Lady Douchebag. Um, I
2: remember his Uncle Roy, remember that? The inappropriate uncle who was babysitting the two kids. I have a hard time getting that on TV today, but it was hilarious. uh,
1: One of the lines from that uh, 18th century nobleman sketch is, Parliament has always had its share of douchebags, and it always will. (laughs) He was the funniest and most serious guy I ever met simultaneously, said late director Mike Nichols childhood friend with whom mr henry collaborated on an adaptation of joseph heller's catch-22 mm-hmm. yeah and somewhat less successfully the day of the dolphin in 1973 mm-hmm. there was a thriller about a plot to assassinate the president using english-speaking dolphins speaking of speaking animals <laughs> yeah. george c scott oh, was in yeah. this movie oh, you remember oh yeah day of the My dolphin. love pa <laughs> What's that? That's
0: a quote from one of the dolphins.
1: <laughs> wow. See, you could work this into a whole evening. You could do
2: an I evening.
0: Be- a- I, I take it back.
1: That I just did an impersonation. I
0: just there did you it. go,
2: brilliantly.
1: And you said you weren't any good. Yeah. <laughs> The Graduate remained their most enduring project. The film made a star of Dustin Hoffman, a soundtrack by Simon and Garfunkel. The film captured the alienation and rebelliousness of the era and was later ranked number seven on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 best American movies. Henry Zuckerman was born in New York in 1930 as an only child. He invented a pair of imaginary siblings. Telling friends that they lived in New Jersey because he assumed no one would ever go there to visit. <laughs> his father was a prominent stockbroker, and his mother was silent film actress Ruth Taylor. I, I, I'm not Ooh, familiar I'm with delicate, huh? with her work, but she played the flighty Lorelei Lee in the 1928 gold-digging comedy *Gentlemen Prefer Blondes*, which Marilyn Monroe subsequently played in 1953. Hello. In 1952, he performed with an army theater group before beginning a long Benjamin Braddock-like period of what Mr. Henry described as, quote, vigorous total unemployment, characterized by a great deal of sleep. That lifestyle changed around 1960 when he began performing with The Premise, a Greenwich Village improv group, and developed an offstage alter ego as G. Clifford Pruitt prudish president of a spoof organization called the society for indecency to naked animals this was a whole organization that right. all they did was spoof things right. about naked animals in fact walter cronkite oh. interviewed him as g clifford Prud, not really knowing oh. that this was all just a big put on
0: oh. it seems like walter cronkite would have a hard time understanding irony
1: <laughs> you think yeah <laughs> The exposure helped him land writing jobs for TV variety programs and appearances on That Was the Week That Was, a satirical news show. That led to being paired with Mel Brooks in an effort to duplicate the success of the spy series The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Mm. The result was Get Smart. Mm, a sitcom featuring Don Adams as bumbling secret agent Maxwell Smart. The series debuted in 1965 and resulted in an Emmy Award for writing for Mr. Henry. His later film credits included the 1980 political farce First Family, which featured Bob Newhart as an ineffectual U.S. president. He's hilarious in that. And the screenplay for To Die For, uh, a mockumentary oh. about a murderously ambitious newscaster played by Nicole Kidman. I remember that. That was in 1995.
2: I didn't realize he was connected She was that.
1: very young then. Mr. Henry also continued acting appearing as himself in Robert Altman's 1992 movie, The Player, a Hollywood satire that began with Mr. Henry. This is the opening of the, of the picture with that long tracking shot. Uh-huh. Uh, pitching a producer on a sequel to The Graduate. <laughs> yeah. The movie, he said, would be set 25 years after the original and would feature a stroke-impaired Mrs. Robinson living with her daughter Elaine, who had by then married Benjamin. Julia Roberts would play their adult daughter. (laughs) Henry says, I thought it would stop people from ever calling me about a sequel. Instead, of course, the opposite happened. There was a big screening, and my scene got a big laugh. In the lobby afterwards, a studio guy came over and said, good joke, good joke. Now let's talk serious about it. (laughs) So dumb ideas never die. Buck Henry, graduate screenwriter who co-created Get Smart, was 89. No. A, long, a long and fruitful life. Well, David, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. I hope you've Thank enjoyed you. yourself. I, and I hope the Thank hour you. has gone by uh, briskly for you. Flu. <laughs> I said it would <laughs> fly <thing> by. This thing fugited. <laughs> by the way, uh, are you and TJ performing anytime soon at the I.O.? We
0: will be doing a couple shows in March. In March. Mm-hmm. March 11th and 12th. Okay,
2: good. This wow. will be up by then, yeah. Mark your calendars.
1: Thank you for the immediate research. And is it we again the eleven o'clock that. slot, or is it earlier? No, we're, we're a little earlier.
2: Okay, <laughs> a little earlier.
1: Eight a.m. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, the breakfast. The
1: breakfast. The <laughs> school show. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we're also have yeah we have uh, Jamie Swice opening for us on the first show, and Ike
1: Riley opening for us on the second show. Oh, oh cool. that's uh-huh. awesome.
2: So just one each day. Correct. One Wednesday. One Thursday. Yeah. Okay.
1: I'm being told that the correct website is ioimprov.com. Okay.
2: All one word, I assume, yeah.
1: Visit booth-one.com for prior episodes and more information about our program for Booth One and David Pasquese. Thanks again, David. Thank you. This is Gary Zabinski.
2: And Frank Tarantino.
1: Saying so long and keep listening.